is Dramatic Travels. Yo-ho out there in podcast land, Aaron Schlein here, and you have landed on episode number 26 of Dramatic Travels Family. Dramatic Travels Family is here to inspire you to travel the world with your kids and offer you the resources and support to make your family travel dreams take flight. My guest this week on Dramatic Travels Family is Chris Christensen, the host of the very popular podcast, The Amateur Traveler. My chat with Chris is coming up in just 35 seconds after this quick word from our nonprofit partner, Flight. Flight is a nonprofit organization that empowers students in underserved communities through transformative travel experiences. I believe in flight because I believe that every student deserves a chance to expand his or her global education, regardless of where they come from or how much money they have. I encourage you to visit DramaticTravels.com slash flight. There you'll find links to join the flight community and donate to this fantastic organization. That address again is DramaticTravels.com slash flight. Light. Away we go with today's guest. His name is Chris Christensen. Welcome to the show, Chris. Are you ready to share your dramatic travels? <laughs> I I am. Yes. Do I have to say that dramatically? You must, you must, you must. <laughs> Chris is the host of the award-winning online travel show, The Amateur Traveler. The Amateur Traveler includes a weekly podcast, a video podcast, and a blog. In 2014, Chris won a Lowell Thomas Award for travel journalism from the Society of American Travel Writers and was named the best independent travel journalist by Travel and Leisure magazine. Now, Chris, that's your official bio. Let's dig into that. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Just tell us about your world, my friend. Sure. I'm a nerd from Silicon Valley. Uh, spent most of my time doing computer programming. I still make my living doing that. And yet somehow I managed to be a part-time travel journalist. And I, I didn't start calling myself a travel journalist until, until travel journalists started calling me that. <laughs> so uh, it's a little interesting ride. It's been 13 years. I started Amateur Traveler in 2005. Well, that made it official when uh, travel journalists started calling you. That must have been a that must have been a good day for you. <laughs> Pretty good day, yes. Well, uh, among the five weirdest things that happened to me that year, those two were uh, two of them. Well, I love it. Any year that we can have uh, some weirdness in our lives is a good year, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. So, Chris, so you've got a lot, a lot going on with Amateur Traveler and all the things you're doing around that. We're going to get to all of it, but I want to go back to the beginning and let's get to know you a bit. Tell me about your earliest travel memory and those emotions that made it so memorable. Well, my early travel experiences were all domestic travel or all domestic travel except for Canada. Uh, So probably one of the most memorable would have been I watched the men land on the moon from a trailer park in Victoria, BC. So we would hitch up an old travel trailer. It was 14 feet. I think that counted the three feet of the hitch. So it was like an 11 foot travel trailer. And my family and I would pull it around the Western United States going mostly to national parks. And yet that made me within my circle of friends growing up, that made me one of the most well-traveled people because I had been to more than just California. So many of my friends had been, you know, if they'd been out of state, they'd been just over the line into Tijuana and just over the border to Nevada and to Reno. So why do you think that was? Was it, was it a financial thing? Was it just a lack of knowing what was out there in the world? What do you think? 
Uh, it's both. It's financial, and then some people really just don't want to travel. Uh, occasionally, I have one of my travel friends who says, well, everybody wants to travel, and they never met my roommate's father <laughs> in college. My, my sophomore year, one of my roommates had a father who always slept in his own bed. That he just wasn't interested in going any place far enough that he couldn't drive home that night. And was there a pride in that on his end of I I don't go anywhere I always come home at night? No, it wasn't a pride. It's it was just who he was. He just was very much a homebody. He was very comfortable in his own skin and comfortable at home, and just didn't seem to be interested in going anyplace else. It's interesting. And I love how you talked about the the visiting of the national parks, because uh, I feel like that's such a great leaping off point. And the, you know, the oh, great yeah. American road trip, I feel, is, is making a, a comeback, at least in kind of in the hearts and the minds. I pulled a quote off your website, and I love it. You said, growing up, quote, we did a lot of traveling for a vacation, usually pulling a small trailer between various yep. national parks. And the success of a vacation for the Christensen's was <laughs> measured with an odometer. I love that. <laughs> Tell me about those road trips as a kid. Tell me, and how many uh, miles did you get on that odometer? I think our record was 5,000. And that would have been the, the trip that led us from California up through Yellowstone, Glacier National Park, Banff and Lake Louise, up uh barely into Jasper National Park, back through Vancouver and back home again. That's, and that's kind of far when you're doing that kind of trip in the Western United States. So it was about a three-week trip. I think that was our longest. And what was that vehicle? What was the, well, the, the little tiny travel trailer? I don't remember what we were pulling at that point. Probably a Plymouth Fury 3. Uh, the, you know, looks like a, looks like a boat. <laughs> That'd be the car I learned to drive on, so... I just I just can't get that image out of my head of the Griswolds and headed to Wally World and the family you've truckster. The right, you've got the right image there, yeah. I love <laughs> it, man. I love it. So all that time growing up, it sounds like you spent a lot of time, of course, traveling with your family. And when I was a kid, a teenager, I spent a lot of time traveling overseas with my grandmother. So I consider her a travel inspiration for me. Who is a specific person who inspired you to travel? I saw that on your list of questions. I don't know that there was a specific person. For me, it was probably more. It was probably more books. Uh, I'm a avid reader. Was as a kid and a huge history buff, and so I think when you've read about all of that history, you want to go see it. You know, one of our big trips when I was still at home was to the East Coast. You know, about two thousand miles up and down the East Coast, seeing a lot of the historic sites, but. You know, we didn't get to to Europe. My parents didn't travel to Europe until they retired, which I think was pretty typical for that generation. And for me, I didn't get to Europe or, you know, any of the other continents until I got out of college and, you know, had some money. What are your feelings about that? Just to kind of about that general mindset of uh, mostly of years gone by, but it still exists today that, you know, you work hard, you get the gold watch, and then you see the world. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, uh, I've taken some specific actions to not do that. So about five years ago, I quit the full-time regular work. Uh, so well into doing Amateur Traveler because basically with Amateur Traveler, I was getting offered enough travel opportunities and was having to say no because I couldn't fit them into, you know, two, three, even four weeks vacation. And so I basically make my living as a part-time software engineer. I make some money on Amateur Traveler and some of the things I do. But, but basically that gives me the flexibility to say yes. <laughs> when people say, hey, would you like to come to, would you like to speak at a conference in or something like that. So I 
have either retired early or really given up the idea of retirement ever because I've, you know, diminished how much money I make per year. Uh, basically, I made an intentional choice that I want to travel now. And you just don't know how many years you get. I mean, that's that's part of the thing is why why put it off? You know, when I did a bicycling trip last year, I was glad it was as young as I am. And that is not as young as I used to be. But that's my approach to that. Have you read the four hour work week? Because that's that's right in line with that mentality. I have. I have a little bit of a love hate relationship with the four hour work week, but I enjoyed it. Just the, the concept of the mini retirements that Tim Ferriss yeah, talks exactly. about in that book of you know having those adventures, you know, building them and incorporating them into your life, you know, year after year, day after day, as opposed to waiting for this magical moment when you're going to unlock all the adventures that life has to offer. Well, and I was and I was on that course. Um, well, sort of. I was on that course, except the Silicon Valley version of that, which is you go work at a startup company. I did 18 years adventure backed uh, startup companies with the idea that I would be, you know, a multimillionaire, and then would just be able to retire. Uh, and the one time that sort of worked, uh, the one time that I had, you know, virtual. Uh, currency where I had uh, a paper millionaire or paper multimillionaire was just before the dot com bubble burst, and I did not sell in time uh, to you know it wouldn't have been you know drop dead money, but it would have been career break kind of money, you know not a, enough to pay off the house for instance, but um, but you know this is kind of Plan B. This is the and and I fell into this. I mean, that's the honest answer. When I started podcasting 13 years ago, I mean, podcasting was nothing. It wasn't like, you know, now we have, what, a third of the people in the U.S. listen to a podcast last month. And when I started, it was much, much smaller. And who knew that it would lead to opportunities? Uh, that is not something I would have predicted. So this is a little bit by accident and a little bit serendipity. Well, it's a happy accident, and certainly yeah. it, was, it was an opportunity that you were prepared to take advantage of. <laughs> so your software work that you continue to do now, is that remote? Uh, only only geographically, not emotionally. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. Predominantly, I've got a couple uh, clients. It, you know, it depends. Uh, when you're doing contract work, uh, some of them are short-term contracts. Some of them are longer-term. The longer-term ones I've done have been with uh, former employers or with people who used to work with me. Uh, so, for instance, right now I get up early in the morning and I do some work for a timeout in London. And so I'm, you know, they're going home right around this time of day. We're recording in the mid-morning, and you know, one of the engineers I work with has has just left for the weekend as we record this on our Friday. Interesting. Now, that's cool. But uh, certainly, certainly grateful for the technology we have here in 2018 that allows oh, yeah. you know, you to earn an income from that type of work, allows me to connect with you, even though we don't have that many miles to cover. As a matter of fact, I'm just up the road here in Sacramento and you're down oh, in wow. okay. San yeah. Jose. I just got off a call with a gal from Wisconsin last week. I talked to a woman who was in Spain. I don't need to tell you this, Chris. I know you do this all the time, <laughs> but just kind of just really just touting the technology we have here in 2018 to connect with like-minded people. Well, with the two, the second of the third travel podcast I do, which is This Week in Travel, our record is four people on the show on four different continents. <laughs> You're really kind of pushing the internet to its limits at that point. You happen to know that episode off the top of your head? We can link it up. 
I do not, but I could uh, send you a link. Look for it later on. Yeah, shoot me that link and we'll get it up in the show notes there at dramatictravels.com slash 26. So Chris, like I said in the intro, Dramatic Travels Family is all about inspiring parents to travel with their kids. But more than that, it's in, it's being able to provide them with the tools and the resources to make that travel happen. And one of the resources that I very passionate about providing is helping parents overcome fears and obstacles. And one of the ways I like to do that is sharing stories from others like yourself about scary or tense moments from their travels, <laughs> how, what they learned from it, from it, how they overcame it. So can you tell us a story of a tense moment from your travel and what you learned from it? You had me a little stumped when I was trying to prepare for this and I was thinking about the answer to that question because as an adult, I find that I have worked my way into things where I you know, meet a stranger in the Zocalo in Oaxaca, Mexico, and jump into his car and let him be my tour guide, <laughs> you know, and and don't have a lot of fear uh, for those sorts of things. So uh, the thing that really stuck to it with me in terms of, as a kid, the scariest travel moment I had was in Lassa National Park. Uh, Lassa National Park, we're standing in front of a boiling lake and in front of the boiling lake are mud pots and i turned to my parents and i said you know knowing that we're in a a volcanic national park well could this ever become a volcano and i think my dad said well i i don't know well maybe what we did not know was that they were doing demolition up on the mountainside and were blasting with dynamite and right about to that point <laughs> They set off a big explosion uh, that reverberated through the valley, and I apparently, from my parents' recollection, took off. <laughs> my parents grabbed me, uh, otherwise I might still be running, and you know that obviously made them a little nervous. Um, that and my earliest travel memory is getting separated from my parents. I was probably two years old and on the Mackinac Island Ferry, and uh, all I remember is a sea of knees. <laughs> <laughs> So what, tell me about what was going through your head. How was, what do you recall specifically from that moment besides the knees? Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things that when you are, do get separated from your parents while you're traveling, I think that one, they may not even have known that I got separated a couple different times, you know, like letting go of your dad's hand at Disneyland and reaching up and finding a different man's hand and things like that. But they remember me getting lost at the lake one time when I was just a real little kid. And, you know, just took off for the water, I think, or something like that. And that was the one I think that was nervous for them. You know, every parent's worst nightmare is losing your kid. And uh, when you have little kids, you know, you have to keep a, a tighter watch on them, a, t a hold of that hand. Uh, but as a as a kid, it's, you know, not a reassuring thing when you just aren't sure where your parent is. Well, you touched on a very real fear. I think every parent has it to of Mm -hmm. different degrees of travel of traveling to a strange place. And then, you know, you've got to just do a lot more as a parent just to manage your day to day when you're traveling. And then, but you've also got to manage the things you always have to manage, like keeping your kids safe and keeping them close by. Right. What, what advice would you have to, to a parent who's just has that, that overwhelming fear of, of travel because they're afraid of, of harm coming to their children? The world is not the scary place you think if that's if that's where you are. And I think that is not my experience at all. It in fact, if anything, what we found is traveling with kids. Now we tended to do more domestic travel until our kids were 
sort of later elementary school age because we just wanted them to remember, you know, the big trips. And at that time, we considered a trip to Europe, you know, to be a, a real big trip. Um, our our standards have changed a little bit in terms of what's what's big and what's not. But we found, I think, that it, it's kind of like my father used to say, if you move to a new city and you want to meet people, you bring a, you get a dog or you have kids because there are a lot of people who just love kids, you know, love, love dogs and things like that. And what we generally found is that the world is a pretty nice place in general. And there are a lot of people out there, strangers included, who really aren't out to get you. So that view, and it's, you know, it's propagated by our media because the good news story of the plane land successfully and, you know, somebody had a trip and nothing happened isn't newsworthy. And so what that means is we have a shifted and skewed perspective of what normal is. Um, you know, I find people who get on planes and are deathly afraid. And yet, you know, we went through what it was at four years in a row in the U.S. with no fatalities on planes. Uh, you know, then unfortunately we did have, you know, one or two uh, the next year. But, you know, can you imagine going through driving in the U.S. and going for years without having a fatality? Uh, it's just unheard of. And yet uh, most people I know are more afraid of flying than they are of driving. Because a car accident is not newsworthy, and so we we just don't pay that much attention to it. But a plane crash certainly is, and the reason it is, of course, is because it's rare. <laughs> and so we we tend to be afraid of the wrong things, and this is definitely true as a as a parent as well. Um, you know, and I was as well. I mean, you know, I get that, <laughs> but uh, I think partially it's letting not letting the fear overcome the facts. Don't let the fear overcome the facts. That that that's a good one. And you're certainly a man after my own heart. I I say this like a broken record sometimes. That you know there are just wonderfully kind people in every corner of this world, and just the overwhelming majority of the seven plus billion people on planet Earth are not out to get you. In fact, it's the opposite. Especially right. when you have kids, they want to get to know you. They want to help you. They want you to enjoy their their hometown and their culture, and they they welcome you. You know far more. Then uh, you, you might get that one-off rare experience where you you, know, you might oh sure you yeah. might encounter something unpleasant, but for the most part, it's it's positive. And uh, in terms well, of in terms of safety, notice, well, you asked me about you know can I think of a scary time? And yeah. I really had trouble. I had to go back to my childhood because I can't think of one. I can't think of a time that we were traveling with our family. You know, there are times that it's uncomfortable. You know, when you're standing in front of the ticket vending machine in the Prague train station and it's all in check and you think hmm okay well this is a puzzle to solve but I really couldn't come up with a time you know even when we were traveling with school age kids that I had a traumatic experience and one would think one would remember those things well and you talked about so many people in the world being not out to get you. We actually host with Airbnb and we get a lot of international travelers. So if I want to find somebody from another country, I can actually just go downstairs right now to the Brazilian students been living with us for two years or tonight to the two, you know, college uh, age Google interns who are staying with us. And last year it was a, a woman from China and her son who were here so that he could learn English. So, you know, we have 
some of those experiences just by opening our home to strangers, which again, for some people would be unthinkable. Well, you're always, you're always traveling in that sense. You can always keep it on, on the mind. And it also pays the mortgage. So, you know, that's not too bad either. <laughs> everybody wins, you know, really you're getting, you know, this, this cultural experience, they're getting a place to stay, whether it's to learn English or go to school, whatever. And then, you know, and then you also get a, you know, a nice little tidy income from it. And, I just that just sounds like a really cool way, and I haven't really talked to anybody who's who's done it exactly the way you described, of just kind of keeping that international mindset and keeping travel travel top of mind. Is that is that an effect that you've noticed from hosting these folks in your Airbnb? It is. I wish I could say that my Portuguese uh, had gotten better by having someone here from Brazil, or that my Chinese was better when our uh, when the young lady that we now think of as our Chinese daughter was living here. But uh, I did practice my Chinese a bit with her. Usually amused her terribly. <laughs> but <laughs> but, that's but yeah, it, it's definitely, I think it is some of the same reason that we travel is, or there's some of the same reason that I travel is I long for new and I long to learn new things. And you can do that even in the comfort of your own home. Yeah, and just kind of like the way we talked about weaving adventure and many retirements into your everyday yeah. life, you're weaving that culture and that that one-on-one, you know, interpersonal experience with people from other other cultures right there in your day-to-day, right? Literally right there in your kitchen. And I that is just incredible. Right. Well, and that has led to some interesting opportunities like you know, one of the moments that I think of that I I wondered why I wasn't afraid was driving through the countryside in Turkey, in the middle of Turkey where tourists don't generally go because I had followed our Turkish exchange student home because he wanted me to meet his parents. And, you know, I, as we were driving through the countryside, I'm thinking, you know, I just flew in. I don't know his parents. It's a little weird that I flew across country and I'm in this country. And of course it's a Islamic country and I'm not, I'm not a Muslim and, and things like that, that would make a lot of people nervous. And I sort of sat there in the backseat of the car as we're driving in the dark thinking, it seems like I should be nervous here, but I'm not. So and it just comes down to having been there before. Not sorry, not having not, not having been that board in the in the literal sense, but having been there before, in that like you've 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 been exposed to the to the various cultures, and you've kind of had these unusual types of experiences. Was that kind of what you meant by how? That's, that's partially that, and I think partially it's you know having come to the conclusion that the universe likes me. So well, the universe does like you, Chris. You're a likable guy. I've <laughs> been talking to you for 21 minutes, and and. Can't say enough good things about you already. So it's talking about, so whether it's a scary moment or a positive moment, it's really finding those dramatic moments, hence the name dramatic travels, finding those big positive sort of life-changing travel moments are, are really, really important. And can you identify a specific inspirational travel moment and talk about how it changed you? The, the change me part is, I'd say is a little hard because I, I can't think I don't know whether travel has changed me. I'm sure it has, but it's changed me so subtly and one one trip at a time that you don't always notice it. But for me, for instance, as I, I mentioned, I'm a history buff, right? So I think of things like standing at the pyramids, right? And this is something that is so amazingly old. And, you know, so just put it in perspective, it's so old that the pyramids are built in the, first in the ancient dynasty of the old kingdom 
in Egypt. And it's so old that they don't know what toppled it. They, they know they were invaded, but they don't know by who. We've lost track of that. But they do know that the people who invaded them had an unfair advantage because they had the wheel. <laughs> so as a history buff standing there, you know, which is literally, of course, on my bucket list, it was just amazing to finally be there. This place that you have heard about since you were a kid and that almost, you know, I think almost everybody or at least everybody who is literate in the world has heard of these monuments that it's just a stunning experience to realize that that's what you're looking at right now. And that, that is a stunning experience because it gets your, for me, again, I can only speak for me. And of course you can only speak for you, but just the, the things that it can do to I'm your, completely to your imagination. To speak for you. I just won't be accurate. <laughs> well, uh, I, I appreciate that. And I think you could probably hit it, hit it pretty well, but I was just kind of, as you're telling that story, I was relating it to a, an experience I've had recently with a structure that's far newer than the pyramids, but I'm just, I was remodeling a, a workshop that my wife's grandfather built back in the fifties. And I remember mm-hmm. as we're kind of remodeling this thing and finding little trinkets around, just thinking back over the years, the several decades and what's the people that have been there, what's happened and sort of the things that this ro- this room has seen and finding newspaper clippings, you know, stapled to the wall underneath the, the plywood and just kind of getting the imagination going there. And then you multiply that by a couple thousand years and you kind of have that idea or that feeling that you had standing at the pyramids. It's just, there's so much history. There's so much will never understand. And it's right there at your feet, literally right there at your feet. And then you have the good fortune of being able to to travel across the world to see it. It's just so incredible what we can do in this world. And that's a really, really cool story. And I'm glad you made it there being the history buff. That must've been a great, great oh, time yeah. for you. Oh yeah. Uh, no, that was, that usually makes my list of top three places when people, you know, finally trying to pin down the travel blogger podcaster on <laughs> favorite places. Egypt usually makes the list. So is that just a personal fun trip for you? Were you working? Uh, that was actually the first trip that we did with listeners of amateur traveler. Uh, we did a trip to Egypt in 2010, just a small group of people as part of a larger tour, which we no longer do. We, uh, I, I enjoyed, you know, meeting the amateur traveler listeners, but the larger tour part, I didn't need to be on a 40 person bus, uh, but well, it was still an amazing trip. Well, cool. let's talk about that. Let's talk about that amateur traveler platform and how you're using that to, to educate others and get them out in the world. Just, just give me a rundown on what you guys do over there. Well, uh, the, big thing that I'm best known for is the podcast. Uh, we, we get quite a few people who listen and we do a weekly show on where to go. Basically we cover, we, well, we've putting out episode 615 this week. And so we have covered quite a few places. We have a map with quite a few pins in it. We haven't covered Chad, uh, but, and I don't think we've covered Moldova, but we've covered pretty much every place else. And, it's it's kind of tough to come up with new places, but of course, since we've been doing this 13 years, we're recovering some places again. And I think one of the things that's encouraging, just recently I had on someone uh, talking about Europe, uh, talking about uh, Russia, the Volga River area of Russia, who is a guidebook writer uh, for Lonely Planet. In fact, he had just written part of the guidebook on that region and was on the show and he was saying, well, we weren't recording. Oh yeah, before I go someplace, I always listen to your episode. <laughs> it's like... Cool. 
So we get, I get a lot of emails from people that, you know, the, I think the funniest one was a woman who said, we, we know we want to go to Europe, but we didn't know where. So we downloaded 50 episodes of your show and listened to them. And an episode is roughly 7,000 words, seven to 10,000 words, depending on the length of the episode. And that depends on how much there is to talk about and how talkative the guest is. And I figured that's roughly four and a half Harry Potter books worth of words to prepare for her trip. So we help a lot of people with trip preparation. Well, it's nice to see people investing that kind of time and picking where they want to go. But when you hear something like that from a listener, do you just to stand up and take a bow? I mean, what do you do? That is just, (laughs) Just that is like mission, just feels like mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, that one, not even so much as we did a show, for instance, we've done a couple of shows on Namibia, a place I haven't been to yet. And, you know, our guest made it sound so interesting that, you know, I want to go. There's a lot of places now that are on my list of places to go because we have done shows on them. But also I had at least two different couples who write, wrote and say we had never thought about it. We never thought about going to Namibia and we just had a great time. You know, thanks so much for covering it. We uh, one of the couples basically honeymooned in Namibia uh, after hearing about it on Amateur Traveler and hadn't thought about it. Those are the ones I think for me are the most satisfying, especially when we've taken someone to a place that they haven't thought of or or maybe we're afraid to go. Uh, those are the ones I think that are, are very interesting. Yeah, that's when you're really making that that mark, when you introduce someone yeah. to a new place or you help them overcome some obstacle to get them out the door. You know, that's when that's when you just... I know you just get that warm, fuzzy feeling, get a big old smile. Like I can hear it in your voice that just the, the pride yeah, you, oh, yeah. you take in that it's, it's really, really is wonderful. And it's a great way to say, again, going back to that idea of keeping travel top of mind for folks out there, the amateur traveler, 600 and some odd episodes deep. I mean, you've talked about keeping travel top of mind, just <laughs> download a few of those episodes and just listen to your heart's content and tell me if that doesn't just really help inspire you to uh, to be thinking about travel and then taking that next step and actually getting your getting your rear end out the door. <laughs> so so we mentioned the amateur traveler, Chris, as a way for others to educate themselves about travel. Yeah. How do you educate yourself about travel and your next destination? Uh, well, sometimes it's the same. Uh, sometimes I'm literally listening to the same episode that we did for you know everybody else as I go to that place. Uh, that is not uncommon. And then I also consume travel blogs. Uh, at this point where I've been doing travel blogging for 13 years, a lot of friends, a lot of people in the, that community are, have become friends, people who've been on the show you know, long before I met them in person, uh, for instance. And then, so I will follow and keep up with their travels on social media and then you know, occasionally read where they are going and add that to my list, my ever-growing list of places to get to. Well, community is, is wildly important, and I feel like it's mm-hmm. underutilized uh, by the general population, especially people who are interested in travel, but maybe they don't quite have whether it's the nerve or the knowledge to take that next step. And if you're surrounded by people like the guy you described who who slept in his own bed every night of his life, if you're surrounded by people who don't have that same passion for travel, it's much harder to to really adopt your or to grow your mindset for travel. So community, surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals, whether it's in person or virtually, is absolutely huge. Can you talk about community for a little bit and again, more about the community you've um, you started and have developed and how that's helped others on their journeys? Sure. Well, for me, 
part of big part of my travel community, as I say, is other other travel bloggers. One of the reasons that I go to different travel conferences around the world, for instance, is to make those friendships and renew those friendships. Um, it is a, <laughs> you know, it tends to be like every community a little uh, centered on that particular hobby or pastime. I remember a friend from one of the travel bloggers who said, isn't it funny that everybody on Twitter talks about travel? I said, well, yeah, no, Pam, (laughs) everybody you follow (laughs) talks about travel. If that were, you know, someone else that they could have filled that in with soccer or football or, or politics or something else like that. But we do tend to associate with people who are doing interesting things, whatever interesting is to us, whether that be cooking or traveling or dog breeding or whatever. And this and social media and, and those sort of things can make that easier to do these days than it was certainly when I started amateur travel. You know, we, that was all before all that started. So that's one of the places where I connect when I'm not traveling with people who have become friends or will become friends or are in the process of becoming online friends or whatever. Yeah. I love that. And I love that support. And I love that. Like you, like you said, just that list of, of interests, it's an endless, endless list. If you're no matter what you're into, no matter what you want to get better at or learn more about, there's a community might be big, might be small, but there is a community out there somewhere of like-minded individuals that can help you on your journey, can add a richness to your life that you may not be able to get if you don't reach out. So go out, get out there, find that community. And if you have a hard time finding that travel community, reach out to Chris, reach out to me, because this is clearly something we're both passionate about. Find that community and improve your life. Yeah. And there's a number of different places in the travel space. Uh, The older communities would be things like the Thorn Tree, which is part of Lonely Planet forums or the TripAdvisor forums, or the newer ones would be like uh, Gary Arndt from EverythingEverywhere.com has a Facebook group for people who are asking questions about where to travel next. Or there are groups specifically for parent travelers, for instance, that would deal more with the issues of, now, should I I bring a car seat or should I rent a car seat or, you know, those kind of details questions that are you know less interesting to the solo solo uh, millennial traveler or things like that yep get out, yeah, get into the weeds and get in and talk about what everyone else finds boring but there's somebody out there you'll find somebody out there to talk about it with and that's one thing I also with talking about you talk about car seats it just kind of made me think about that's one of the it's the it's like the logistics and the nuts and bolts of a family <laughs> travel is what I find the most resources and I find that honestly I find that a bit frustrating you know that there's not there's fewer and fewer resources that I found that are like focused on kind of the higher level the why behind traveling with your kids you know why is it important for kids to travel it's all more about here's how to survive a flight with your kids here's how to manage <laughs> your kids overseas here's how you sure. you deal with a crying child or a picky eater you know. I, you know, my kids are young. They're only five and two. I know I've got a lot, uh, I've got quite a road ahead, but I don't want to just deal with my kids and survive my kids. I want to, you know, I want to show them the world in a way that's meaningful to them that they can carry on into adulthood. So you know, why is it, why is travel important for, uh, for kids in your opinion, Chris? Well, one of the reasons why we wanted to take our kids out there, yeah, well, two reasons really. One is we wanted to go out there and we like our kids. We didn't want to leave them home. Uh, we were on a cruise for my 40th birthday, a, a Windjammer barefoot cruise in the Caribbean, and there were only four kids. There's only 100 people on the boat, 104 people or so. But a lot of people on the boat had kids. They just hadn't brought them. They're <laughs> like, why would you do that? <laughs> 
I like my kids. I like spending time with my kids. And now that my kids have, you know, grown up and grown away, um, moved away rather, I am more and more thankful for all the time we spent with them. And they still travel with us. Uh, so that's something that became a fun shared experience. We're going to Japan with my kids in uh, November of this year or yeah, something like that. And the other reason is I think it widens your worldview. I think you get a tendency to think that the way we do things is the way that everybody does things. And it also, I think of, you know, some of the issues were going on here in the U S where people say, you know, Muslims, for instance, they're, they're all evil and they all want to get you. It's like, well, I know some, (laughs) you know, I have friends who are some and there's no group of people that isn't just a bunch of individual people. And I think when you spend some time seeing people as, as people, when you're traveling with them and you develop friendships and things like that, it changes you. Uh, it changed. It doesn't mean you believe less what you believe. It doesn't mean that you think less of the U.S. In fact, in many cases, I come home very thankful that I live in the country that I live in and we have the opportunities that we have. But I think that's the other thing is it gives you better, more perspective. Uh, it makes you more well-rounded, well-informed individual, I think. Without question. And just kind of take it one step further with kids. I, I always love watching the kids interact or at least or observe other kids in other countries. And it gives you that. Oh, yeah. It kind of gives them that perspective again that, like, these they might, kids might look a little different or they might act a little different or dress a little different. But then you watch them, they're kids. And watching kids play with other kids, you know, American kids going over overseas and oh, yeah. engaging with the other kids, that's just, it's so beautiful. And I know that those memories are just going to be treasures that they're, they're going to have for the rest of their lives. So what kind of feedback have you gotten any feedback from your own kids now that they're grown about those travels and the impact that it had on them? <laughs> uh, we had d- different feedback from my daughter and my son. My son hit senior year of high school and said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done traveling with you guys. I don't care if there's another cathedral in Europe. I don't need to see it. <laughs> uh, and then he, he had a clause in there for beaches. There was a, there was a beach clause. Are we going to Hawaii? You know, in, <laughs> invite me. And, uh, and for a few years, he did not travel with us. He had, he just reached his limit on that. Uh, my daughter, on the other hand, you know, did a study abroad program, uh, really wanted to go to, uh, to Italy, uh, because of the travels that we had done there and how much she had loved Italy, uh, ended up going to Geneva because she couldn't get more, she couldn't get enough Italian to really be fluent at her college. She did some summer courses or whatever, and she really wanted to go to a country where she had some fluency in the language and she has conversational French. Uh, but you know, just had a, an amazing experience there and Geneva being the center for a lot of, uh, uh, non-government, uh, NGOs that are doing healthcare that she's got a lot of connections then of people who went to this particular program because they wanted to change the world. <laughs> and so she had a lot of friends like that. And and now she is doing that sort of thing. She's in uh, basically vaccine education with the Sabin Vaccine Institute, a nonprofit in, in DC. So, you know, all of those kind of have led her to kind of move in that direction. Now our son, after a while, when he was in college, he became the editor for Amateur Traveler because he needed a 
work experience, and I could offer him that. And he was not as uh, as proactive at that time as he is now. And so he you know, ended up working for me. And I remember the episode we did on Namibia I mentioned – after he edited it, he said to me, you know, Namibia sounds pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you and what have you done with my son? And so since that point, we have gone to, you know, China with him where he had a great time and we've gone to Croatia and Bosnia and uh, we're going off to Japan this year. And so he, he just, I think needed a break. Uh, He still enjoys travel. He still enjoys that time with the family, but there was a point which he just, the family trips, uh, he, he thought he was done with them for a while. He just needed a little amateur traveler in, in his yeah, life. Well, that clearly that, that was the case. Well, we had, you know, we had trips to Mexico, for instance, where he went because there was a beach involved. Beach claws. The beach claws got triggered. Uh, we made sure that there was some time at Playa del Carmen, but we also, you know, went to amazing things like caves with 10,000 year old cave art in them or, I was going to say climbed a, a Mayan pyramid. They didn't join me that day that I, they actually climbed the pyramid, but we went to several other you know, sites and ate street tacos, $1 street tacos in the Zocalo in Merida as there was dancing and things going on and best meal I've ever had in Mexico, you know, $1 street tacos in the, in the central square. So, yeah, so it, it took him a little longer. I think he's a little more of a homebody. Uh, doesn't need to sleep in his bed every night, but you know, some of us are, have more wanderlust than others. Well, I just think it's cool that, you know, you, you took those trips and then now you're, you're still traveling even as adults. Cause there's just a, a statistic that I read a few weeks ago. That's really stuck with me. And I'm sure this number varies from person to person, but it said at about like 20 or 21 years old, you have spent 90% of the time you'll ever spend with your parents is behind you. Oh and, yeah. And that's, and, and that's, I'd say that that feels pretty accurate, but then, but then making the most of that extra 10, that last 10% with things like what you're describing, Absolutely. continuing to, to travel and, and just, it just brings you closer together, brings you clo- closer to the world. It's just really beautiful. I love, love to hear about it. Well, as someone who's a little farther along in his parenting than you, and then probably a lot of your listeners, you know, my experience is kids are great at every age. Uh, they're also a challenge at every age, but the challenge changes from age to age. And they get, in my experience, more and more fun, and then they move away. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's one of the reasons why you just have to get as much time, you know, together as you can and as much cuddle time as you can when they still want to do that and just really cherish those time together. And I think not only is that the the best way for you, it's also the best way for them. And I think it also makes it easier as you're going through the teenage years and some of those years that they're trying to get more independence, which is your goal, right? Your goal is that they're going to be independent adults at some point and the transition to get to there can be a little more challenging sometimes. But I think if you have that basis, if if you have that closeness that you built up during those early, early years, then I think it's less of a challenge in my experience and the experience of the, a lot of the friends that I've seen. Perfectly, perfectly said, my friend. We're talking to Chris Christensen from The Amateur Traveler. Chris, it's time to share with us some of your pro travel tips. And let's start with this one. Chris, how do you best capture your travel memories and share a tip with us for using this method effectively? 
<laughs> well, these days I take notes and write blog posts, but what we've done for years, and I got this from my wife. This is not something I came up with. She started keeping trip journals before I met her. Uh, I've read her trip journals from you know one big trip that they did over spring break in college, and we have still have that habit of keeping trip journals because they're really cool to look at later on, and also just even as you're, you know, three weeks back from the trip, where did we go and what did we do there? And keeping that all straight. Um, we take notes during the day and then usually write up the trip journal in the hotel at night or on the plane on the way home. Well, you may call yourself the amateur traveler, Chris, but you are an absolute pro because you answered my <laughs> question before I asked it, which was walk me through a day of how you're keeping those notes and keeping that journal. So yeah. You did my work for me, Chris. I appreciate it. Well, so amateur doesn't mean you're bad at it. Amateur <laughs> comes from the Latin, and it means to do something for the love of it. Amas, amore, and amateur all have the same root word. For the love of it. There. See? You need to learn something new every day. I learned something. <laughs> it's it's not even 11 o'clock. I learned my thing for the day. So, Chris, recommend a travel-related book for us, and just tell us uh, why it's so special to you. I Yeah, I was thinking about that question. For me, it... I, I mean, I've, I le- I've read a fair number of different travel books, you know, enjoyed Bill Bryson and enjoyed Under the Tuscan Sun and such. But for me, usually the travel book is either a fiction or nonfiction book about the destination that I'm going to. So, for instance, in preparation for, uh, well, this year's amateur travel trip, we're going to Central Europe. I'm listening, a, a lot of audiobooks these days, I'm listening to James Mishner's uh, rather long tome on the history of Poland, but it's a it's a historic novel just called Poland, uh, where, for instance, for the trip I did to Italy, again, an amateur travel trip last year, with um, that one I listened to like the Great Books course on the history of India, or I listened to another book that I enjoyed, which was history uh, India as told through 50 different biographies. Uh, so basically focusing on 50 people who made India more who who were key to the to understanding India. So cool. So many cool books out there. It doesn't have to be nonfiction, certainly doesn't have to be a guidebook. Fiction is is absolutely a great option to to educate yourself or just to get that wanderlust, get that imagination flowing and again get yourself out the door. So Chris, what is a gadget or a tool that you always travel with that makes every trip better? Well, for me, I mean, it's it's not an uncommon answer, but it's the iPhone. Uh, I can't imagine these days, you know, not only is it Maps and Navigation and Google Translate and, you know, for business trips, Expensify and Maps.me, which is an offline maps program. So even if I don't have a connection, I can, you know, download maps before I leave the country and, and still do navigation. It's, you know, it's all those things in my pocket and, of course, and a camera and, and video, all the, all the video these days for amateur travelers shot with the iPhone. Maps.me. That's a good one. I haven't heard of that, but it's it's sounds incredibly helpful if you ever find yourself in a place where you just don't have signal and as long as you remember to download the right maps. I right. Was a, I was on a uh, trip to Portugal and we a Viking River trip and we went to Salamanca, Spain, and you know we had time on our own and it's like no problem. I, I I've got maps in my pocket and I and I went around and I pulled out the maps and I hadn't downloaded Spain. <laughs> I'd only downloaded Portugal. It's like, oh, <laughs> never mind. 
But of course, these days I have a T-Mobile account, which has the uh, international roaming. Uh, in they just added fifty more countries, so I mean that's something that makes that even a more effective tool. Absolutely, definitely. Besides making sure you have the down the maps downloaded before you leave, make sure that your your service provider, your carriers, find out what you can and can't do once you get overseas, because that's a uh, oh that, yeah that that magical tool in your pocket becomes use uh, useless frightfully quickly if you don't have service. Yeah, well, or if your service is very very expensive. I mean, really, before I switched to T-Mobile, I would just leave it in airplane mode, well, and only use it in Wi-Fi in the hotels. Yeah, that's another good lesson that. Maybe some folks out there, plenty I'm sure, have learned the hard way that, yeah, you get over there, your phone works, and you get home and realize and you were, every one of those texts was costing you 50 cents. Very, very expensive. Yeah, yeah. very, very, very expensive. All right, so Chris, moving on, what is some rock star advice for parents who dream of traveling with their children but just don't know where to start? Well, you don't have to start with, you know, India. <laughs> you don't have to start with, you know, getting on the plane and going to someplace difficult. One, you can start with road trips in your country. Uh, two, you can start with your local town. Take your kids to pho or take them to an Indian buffet and start to introduce them to other cultures. Uh, go to cultural events. Are there cultural events near you and things like that? And then and then build it up. And the first time we took our trips, our kids overseas, we started in London and then we went to Paris. So, you know, first we're overseas. We're in a different time zone but they speak the same language. Um, and they enjoyed both. Um, in fact, we took a, a college friend with us at the same time, and he came because you know, he really wanted to do London. He wasn't interested in Paris. And he got interested in because it, that was actually the, the key part of the trip for him. Even though he got pickpocketed in the subway on the way in, that was still something that as you – do as you build up, you know, don't start with necessarily by I've, I've talked to people that their first trip was Zimbabwe. Um, I don't recommend that or India. Um, it, you know, if that's really where you want to go, then fine. But you, you can make that easier on yourself. <laughs> go someplace a little more familiar first yes. before you do the night train in China. Yeah, start small, start at the local pho restaurant, work yourself up, uh, sure. Experience those those incremental changes every day, and you're gonna get you're gonna get what you where you want to go. Um, I really appreciate that. That's a really really solid sound advice from the amateur traveler. Well, Chris, as we wind down before we say goodbye, my friend, what is your biggest travel dream that hasn't come true yet? I was looking at my bucket list <laughs> as you knowing that question was coming. There are well, Machu Picchu is probably the one that it jumps out at me. There's a you know a series of cliche places that I've trapped that are really checked off a lot of them, uh, and we nearly did a trip to Machu Picchu this year uh, and changed or next year rather, sorry, and that's changed into a trip to uh, Southern Africa that's on the plan uh, because I want to do some of that as well. But that's still one of the places that I haven't been to. Well, here's what I want you to do, Chris. Stay in touch. And when you get there, I want you to let us know that those dreams are coming true because I want <laughs> everyone out there in podcast land to know that your travel dreams can come true too. You just need a plan. You need a community and you just need that uh, that internal fire. And we're hoping to light that fire right here on Dramatic Travels. We've been speaking to Chris Christensen, the amateur traveler. Check out the podcast, the video podcast, the blog, at the amateur traveler. What's the, what's the URL we can visit to learn more about you, Chris? AmateurTraveler.com. Well, isn't that simple enough? AmateurTraveler.com. Chris, thanks so much for taking some time to speak with Dramatic Travels family. Have a great one, my friend. You are welcome. Yes, indeed, my friend. I really hope you enjoyed my chat today with Chris Christensen, 
quite possibly the hardest working man in travel podcasting. You can check out all the notes and the links from this episode over at DramaticTravels.com slash 26. We will talk again next week, my friends. And until then, remember, your emotional memories are your most powerful memories. So put some emotion in your motion. Motion.